0: you just say hi, I'm Michelle yeah. again. Oh, well, I'll Gosh. say the whole thing again. Because okay. I
1: didn't like, I feel like I started two octaves too low for my voice. <laughs> like ran out of air. Damn. Okay, let me try. <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 63. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and it's good to be back. As so often happens in life, circumstances can quickly change. Over the last few weeks, many of us have experienced varying degrees of upheaval, inconvenience, and uncertainty stemming from worry over COVID-19, or the coronavirus. It is natural to respond to such times with wariness, caution, and concern. But we here at the Modern Lady Podcast wanted to hop back on here to discuss matters with you, our listener friends, as we always do, like friends chatting over coffee around our kitchen table.
0: But first, if you enjoy this episode of The Modern Lady Podcast, we ask that you take a few minutes to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to our podcast. We love bringing brand new content to you on a weekly basis, and reading your feedback means so much to
1: us. Please let us know what you think of today's episode and share it with a friend. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram where you can find us at the Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady tip of the week.
0: Michelle, over the last few weeks, there have been two words that have dominated the headlines toilet paper. Stores are still sold out across the world as people rush to their supermarkets to stock up at the onset of this pandemic that we are currently in. Today I present to you what I feel is the best non-toilet paper alternative that I could find, and trust me, I did a lot of research about this. Allow me, along with former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, to suggest corn cobs. Apparently corn cobs have long been the stand-in in outhouses across the United States and I'm guessing Canada too. So you can either use the husks, preferably the inner husks which are slightly softer than the outer ones, but an actual cob, yeah the cob with the corn removed please, is apparently not as uncomfortable as one might think. Apparently it's so effective that many people continued using corn cobs even after toilet paper became readily available. This really does seem like the best alternative that I discovered when searching for ancient ways to clean ones behind. The idea of using broken pottery shards like the ancient Greeks, or clamshells like the Native Americans, just isn't as appealing for me. <laughs> Their worst option of all seems to have come from ancient Rome. They used a communal sponge on a stick dipped in a mixture of vinegar and water.
1: Wow. Oh, <laughs> all right. A <laughs> lot to process here. Um, okay, so. You know, at first when you started talking about the options, I was like, no, corn cobs, no. But hearing the other ancient practices, I was like, that's right, corn cobs.
0: (laughs) All right. Yep. I'm wondering what the timeline is. Are we looking at like June before we need the corn cobs? Like, let's just, what's the reality here? We need like the New York Times to do one of those maps that just show the the availability of corn
1: cobs. I do also appreciate the the note to take the corn off first, please. Right. (laughs) It's a dual-functioning
0: toilet paper. So we should probably just wrap it up, wrap it up there. Yep. (laughs) And
1: we'll leave it there. (laughs) How are you feeling? We have asked that of our families and friends countless times in the days and weeks of COVID-19. But have you paused to ask it of yourself lately? You and I have tried, right, Lindsay? But we've actually found that it's been almost impossible to put our fingers on it exactly how we're feeling. Yeah. In each
0: of our phone conversations, we're feeling about 500 different things, right, over the course of one phone conversation. And we know that we're not alone. That question, I feel like... If you are honestly blessed enough to have some people in your life that you can talk to, I feel like we all start a conversation with, hey, how you doing? Right? In that tone, mm-hmm. the normal. And then it turns. And then we say, no, how are you really doing? And that has only started in about the last week or so. This takes me back to even my, when I was postpartum after having my babies. And my doctor would say, hey, how are you? You know, as he'd come in the room. Mm-hmm. And then he'd sit down in his chair. He'd come closer to me. He'd get to my level. We'd lock eyes. And he'd say, no, how are you really doing? And we know that shift in tone, that concern, it becomes real. And then we, if again, we're so blessed, we can open up to somebody about how we're really feeling.
1: Right. Because, you know, all of the feelings, (laughs) we're feeling all the feelings all the time. Right. And um, there's so much that kind of comes with that. And we'll kind of break it down a little bit hopefully over the course of this episode but just we're having trouble I know I am at least I'm having trouble acknowledging and accepting that feeling feelings are normal and yeah. in these circumstances feeling all the feelings is normal and valid but yeah the, it's it's striking a balance I think not wanting them to rule us while still being able to acknowledge that they're there You make a great point. I read one article where they said that because we're like
0: the self-help book generation, we're the first people to have like a two-tiered set of feelings. So we feel the feeling Mm. and then we feel the second feeling about the feeling because of all of the (laughs) self-help stuff that we've read. So we feel like in our brain we go, I'm sad. And then immediately after we feel guilty about feeling sad because we tell ourselves why we shouldn't be feeling sad and why other people have more of a right to feel sad. And this is a really mm-hmm. a new phenomenon, right? To have this two tiered response to something. And, and this article I was reading, he said, you can stop with the first part. I feel sad. Right. I feel mad. I feel anxious. I feel silly right now. I feel joyful. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things are still happening too. And in, I, and I, I, liken it back to, you know, oh gosh, remember being a teenager and you're going through a breakup or something and you wake up in the morning and you have those two seconds where you feel like still happy. And then it's like you're Mm -hmm. hitting your stomach and you're like, wait, all of these things are going on. That's happening every single day right now for me. For a lot of you, Mm -hmm. I get up, I'm like, oh, it's a new morning. I stumble to the bathroom and then I feel like I've been hit in my stomach and I'm like, nope, things aren't normal right now. And so it's Mm -hmm. one thing to just say, I'm not okay. And then we don't have to backfill it with all of the other feelings about those feelings. We don't have to do that right now. We can just feel what we're feeling. And that's actually a lot of the advice that we're going to give to our listeners today.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've almost become all of our own analysts yeah, and we're completely unqualified
0: to do that that's right (laughs) right it's just another (laughs) thing we're an expert at right now we're we are climate experts we are (laughs) pandemic experts we are policy and political experts we're and then we're experts on our own feelings and guess what we're not experts on any of that so we're gonna right go back a little bit and just really break this down into very simple terms that hopefully we can all move forward with
1: yeah and You know, you and I were reading this article just this morning. Actually, we've both found it, and it was from the Harvard Business Review. And the article is titled, um, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. And I don't know about you, but I saw that title and I was like, huh, interesting. And actually, it says in the article too, like right at the very beginning, like, if we name it, maybe we can manage it. And I was like, that is, this is so interesting. And so, yeah, what did you think when you first read it? Like you, the headline just grabbed me. It stopped
0: me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. And and so it was one of the few in the last couple of days that I did click on. And it's one of those few that you and I will both share and be like, if you only read one thing today, it's truly, mm-hmm. we're going to quote so much of it. We're practically giving you the whole article because it's just so good. <laughs> um, it was written by Scott Baranato and he is referencing a new book by David Kessler. And David Kessler worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who developed the five stages of grief. In his new book, he adds a sixth stage. So I'm going to just start with a quote from the article because we can... I think it'll help everybody understand what they're talking about. So something that we're talking and that we're feeling is also called anticipatory grief. And it says anticipatory grief is that feeling we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain. Usually it centers on death. We feel it when someone gets a dire diagnosis or when we have the normal thought that we'll lose a parent someday. Anticipatory grief is also more broadly imagined futures. There's a storm coming. There's something bad out there. With a virus, this type of grief is so confusing for our people. Our primitive mind knows something bad is happening, but you can't see it. This breaks our sense of safety. We're feeling that loss of safety. I don't think we've collectively lost our sense of general safety like this. Individually or smaller groups, people have felt this, but altogether, this is new, and we're grieving on a
1: micro and macro level. Mm-hmm. I loved that quote mm-hmm. because when he said. Originally, when I thought about the grieving and the feeling of grief, um, I wasn't quite sure exactly what the loss was. Right. right? Being someone who's just quarantining for now. Right. And eating and watching Netflix. (laughs) Right. Right. But when they kind of go through like what it is we have all collectively lost, Mm -hmm. we've all lost a sense of normalcy. We've all lost that feeling of safety. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that makes so much sense to me. Um, and that no matter what your circumstance and situation in life, that's how it's collective. Like no matter what your normalcy was, you've lost it in that's Some way. Why. And they liken this back to
0: 9-11 as being the last time we felt this. But even that was really mm. only felt, you know, strongly by people in New York City and then collectively maybe by the United States and then, you know, Western civilization. Mm-hmm. But not on the same scale. That's the closest right. we can come to this, and so just this idea that we all feel like something is coming, that we all can't control it, it it is a terrifying feeling, and so I I keep saying I have a lot of friends I've been able to talk to about this, and I'm really thankful for that, and all of our conversations are like we all feel like we're the adult in the room, and that we're still smiling and we're trying to like pretend like everything's okay, but we're all feeling like it's not okay, and we're all. Just waiting. We're all hovering at the cliff of it not being okay. And because we don't know when that is going to happen, when we're all going to have to transition to this next place where we are in our individual cities, Mm -hmm. it is this feeling of completely being out of control and having to still put a smile on your face because we're in the eye of the storm. Nothing is really happening. There's no bombs falling outside, right? We're not seeing death being rolled in front of our houses. We're not seeing it happening yet. But Mm -hmm. it's there, and so like what you're saying, combining that sense of um, worry and unease with the sense of what we have lost, and then saying, "But we haven't lost that much." No, the sense of loss is real.
1: Yeah, you're you're so right because I think what's really hard is that this thing keeps changing right now, Mm -hmm. right? So even in other situations of crisis in history, there has um, often been able to pinpoint a common focus or or an enemy, or something like that, right? There is a face and a name to what exactly you're fighting against. Yeah. But for now, anyways, it's faceless, and it keeps changing, and we don't know when that will stop. But also, we're, we're not even sure how to fight if we're supposed to be fighting at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it all feels very passive and vague, and I don't think that humans are used to that kind of constant state. Of being vague and unable to pinpoint what it is we're supposed to be doing and when and how.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because if we look at our ancestry, right, like the fight or Mm -hmm. flight, right? Fight or flight. We talk about this all the time. You knew what you had to fight and you knew what you had to run away from. We're feeling that right now, but there's nothing that seems imminent. And so we're in this constant state of fight or flight. I mean, I mean, that's what I'm feeling. I'm assuming you're feeling the same mm-hmm. thing. And I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure a lot of our listeners are feeling the same thing. That's that ball in your stomach. And mm-hmm. we're looking around, right? We're like trying to figure out, okay, where's the enemy? Where's the enemy? And it's just hidden right now. And it, it, it's, we don't know how to arm ourselves. We don't know what to do. And then all we're told to do is to just sit back and watch TV and stay in our houses. And that doesn't feel like fighting, but it is. Mm-hmm. We know the science is telling us that that's the best thing we can do right now to combat what's going on. But for people who are in our primitive state that are used to fighting something, it certainly mm-hmm. doesn't feel like we're doing anything, and that feels gross. <laughs> I don't know how else to it describe does, it. it feels no,
1: in one hundred percent. I was gonna say yes. icky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Icky and gross. Yeah. Um, but it's true because even if you look back in like uh, World War II, the people who maybe weren't sent to the front lines, they yeah. were given jobs yeah. and like very tangible jobs, even within the home. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we talk about homemaking and homemaking during war times. Even it was like you did your duty. at home and your duty was to plant a victory garden so that rations could be sent to the fighters on the front lines and your duty was to make sure that the blackout shades were drawn and like all of these different tasks you actually had tasks and they were tangible and you could feel like you had purpose but when it is a, a virus it's a little bit different because um we yeah when you're told to just stay home We don't feel like that's enough. And it is. We know that rationally, but it doesn't feel like that. So you're right. And it's that constant... Are we overreacting or underreacting? So we start to do a
0: task, mm. whatever it is, right? Whether it is buying a little extra food, I'm not stockpiling, but, or preparing some freezer meals, right? Like we do a task and mm-hmm. then we think, no, this is ridiculous. I'm totally overreacting. So then we spend a day yeah. where we don't do anything and we just hang out with our kids. And then we think, no, I should have done something today. I'm underreacting. And it's that constant <laughs> flux between overreacting and underreacting that just has us spinning. We're just then going in circles, going, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Um, I want to go back to anticipatory grief because there's just another great point in this article. So I'm going to quote again Mm -hmm. from this article. It says unhealthy anticipatory grief is really anxiety. And that's the feeling that we're talking about here. Our mind begins Mm -hmm. to show us images. My parents getting sick. We see the worst scenarios. That's our minds being protective. Our goal is not to ignore those images or to try to make them go away because your mind won't let you do that. It can be painful to try to force it. The goal is to find balance in the things that we're thinking. So I found that to be really incredible because you can't fight it. I don't know how dark your thoughts have gone, Michelle. Mine have gone pretty Mm -hmm. dark with different things over my life and in this circumstance as well. Um, And so I know what he's talking about, about how painful it is to try to force those thoughts away. That doesn't happen. You can't just Mm -hmm. push them out all the time. So it's this idea of leaning into it a little bit letting yourself think it, but then this author talks about coming into the present, you know, mindfulness right. is, is a really popular idea and has been for the last couple of years. Well, this is the time. <laughs> if
1: you haven't right. looked into <laughs> mindfulness, it's now meditators arise. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is time Teaches to your ways. come into the present. <laughs> yeah. So he talks
0: about very briefly that if you are feeling that and your thoughts are going very dark and, and if you are a listener and, and you're a mom out there, especially and your mind has gone really dark about the about things that could happen to your kids you're not alone in that I think that Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you'll admit to thinking that too Michelle yeah we want to let you know that you are certainly not alone in that and I want to go a step further I'm no psychologist but I really believe as a mom that that is a way that we learn to ready ourselves to work hard to make that not happen that it's actually a preparatory step in in Mm and our fight as moms But what we want to say here back to mindfulness. So if you're in that dark place, the first thing you should do, okay, after you say, Yep, I'm feeling this, is then name, look around your room and name five things in your room. So there's a computer, a chair, a picture, a rug, a coffee mug. It's that simple. Just pick five things and then you can step back and you can go, okay, none of the things that I'm thinking about right now have actually happened. It hasn't happened. We're not there yet. In this moment. I'm okay, my kids are okay, we have food, go through those things. It doesn't mean that those things aren't going to happen. They might happen to you. They might happen to me. But in this moment, it hasn't happened. Because our brains have a really hard time distinguishing between an actual threat and Mm -hmm. an imagined threat. Our brain and our body responds in the same way, like it's actually happening. And so why face that threat twice? Because you're going to already feel it all. And then you're going to feel it all again if it happens, right? Right.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i really like that because what you're saying too is like it 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 can be both helpful and not helpful at the same time right like what you're saying as a mom how we run through those circumstances in our heads um as moms and in a way it helps us to prepare for a possible situation in the future i believe that you know that's probably the one of the points of fear as yes. an emotion right like is to help our ourselves prepare for something that could happen and to anticipate something it's like a defense or a, a self-preservation thing. So in that way it's it's natural and so we don't have to feel badly about going through those things in our heads but I do like um, just being able to notice uh, when it's kind of overtaking you yeah and if you can practice at that time, Uh, observing what it is happening right now right here right now um, that can really help and actually one of the signs and symptoms i was looking at a list of signs and symptoms of anticipatory grief one of them is poor concentration Mm. or forgetfulness it's just kind of like that scatteredness in your brain right so every conversation we've had in the last week (laughs) on the phone (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I keep thinking sometimes when we talk on the phone, I'm like, we should stop here. Yeah. Like, this was a high note. But then we keep going because actually another sign and symptom is a desire to talk. Mm. And so we just keep going. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's a story. Can I just
0: say that's a really good point? Can we just talk about the desire to talk? This is something you and I actually actually talked about. And I've talked about this with many friends is that we... And we don't have any scientific knowledge basis for this, but one thing we've Mm -hmm. noticed is that there are quite a lot of us and a lot of us, especially as women that do need to just talk it out, that we're not panicking. We're not being hysterical, but I need to talk it out, especially with a friend, somebody I can trust where I can say to you my worst case scenario. And you don't think that I actually think that's going to happen tomorrow, that we just Mm -hmm. have all of the things I'm thinking in my, in my head. I'm just the type of person that needs to say those out loud so that I can process it. But again, it doesn't mean like I think it's going to happen. I just need to say it, and so it's. And I'm mm-hmm. finding that to be the case with a lot of the women in my life. And so we're just saying it right now. This talking is so important,
1: right? It because it almost um, it takes it out of your head, right? Yeah. You can get it out of your head a little bit, and you can also just almost like you're running it by somebody Mm -hmm. like you're test driving it right and so it's not just you and you're spiraling in your own thoughts you've spoken it into existence Uh, you have a trusted friend who will listen not judge you for it and then they kind of validate that what you're feeling about it is okay even though you both know that you know the situation may not be likely Right, And that in and of itself gives great comfort. And so for women, especially, you're right, like being able to just speak your feelings and your thoughts into existence and have it land, so to speak, on a trusted friend is a consolation in and of itself. And this is really
0: important for people who are catastrophic thinkers. We do want to just touch on this idea of catastrophic thinking and how it is different than anticipatory grief. So I've always Mm. called myself a catastrophic thinker, but it was only in really researching it more I've realized that that's not exactly what I'm doing. So what this is, is this is catastrophic thinking is the spiraling of realistic worries and understandable anxiety. That spirals into mm-hmm. unusual and unlikely scenarios. So let's just break that down. First of all, there can be, and we are living it right now today, realistic worries and understandable anxiety. Those two mm-hmm. things are legit today where we're living. But when it starts to go unusual and unlikely scenarios, there's a turn, there's a dark turn there. So like we were saying with having a friend to lean on, this is where if you have a trusted somebody that you can talk to who can say, "Hey." Okay, That is not going to happen now. Yes, the other things you can be worried about, but where it's just taken this turn, um, let's talk that out. Like they always use the plane crash example. And so Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, people are terrified of getting on a plane. And so there can be realistic worries with that. But then when somebody says to you, a trusted friend, let's look up statistics. Let's look up the science. That's where you can say this is unlikely and unusual that a plane does crash. So I'm hoping that makes Mm -hmm. sense. I think that for a lot of people, and I'm one of these people that have had experienced trauma out of nowhere, that have had something very shocking come to them in their past out of nowhere, um, we then tend to think that's never going to happen to me again. I'm never going to be caught off guard. I'm never going to be having to be defensive again. I'm going to be on the offensive so that people who've had that, and it's a lot of people, um, when we've experienced that in the past, every time a crisis comes up, like right now, um, we... Don't ever want to be caught off guard again. So we have to play through every scenario. Mm -hmm. Okay. The thing that also contributes to catastrophic thinking, spiraling out of control and then amplifying our anxiety is then this knowledge then that we are spiraling and then going, oh man, I'm freaking out. I'm totally freaking out over this. I can't believe I'm having catastrophic thoughts over this. And then we're Mm. just like shoveling it even further. Right. We're just going down, down, (laughs) down with it. And that's not helping with any of it. So again, back to the beginning where lean into it. You can just say, I'm feeling sad, period. I'm feeling anxious, period. We don't have to then step outside of that further and then think, well, I shouldn't be feeling this or everybody else is, has it so much worse or any of those other things. If there's one thing you walk away from this episode with, it's just thinking it's okay to say I'm scared,
1: period. I'm anxious, period. Mm-hmm. now I really like that it just kind of simplifies yeah. right we always talk about simplifying in our homes and in our schedules and things like that but mentally too, simplify yeah. you can you can just sit with one feeling without having to justify it yeah, all the time absolutely. and I find that comforting for sure and so going back to the article for just one last time Um, he actually ends with uh, adding his own (laughs) point at the end of these uh, stages of grief um, that he borrowed from a colleague. But uh, he talks about being able to find meaning in your grief and how necessary that was when he himself was experiencing grief at one point in his life. And I I found that such an interesting um, point that we can remember and remind ourselves of while we're here right in it right now and so one of the things that i have actually been doing and i didn't realize that this probably could be considered finding meaning in this time of grief is uh i've turned to god Mm -hmm. (laughs) as we often do for those of us um especially if we're christian or catholics and you know spiritually speaking my focus has been like trying to be honest with god about how i'm feeling and it's just like talking to him, you saying like, God, I don't actually understand at all what you're doing here <laughs> or what is happening around me. Um, but whatever it is, I'm 100% in. Like you have me to use however you need to. And whatever I have, show me where I can give it. Just make it obvious. And this has just really helped me in the past few weeks give my struggling purpose and meaning and that I still can feel useful in a deep spiritual way, um, even when physically and materially, I have to stay home. And that makes me feel quite um, taken out of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that what's really important here is that in this, I want us
0: to also take the last lesson from this article. He talks about that it's a good time to, quote, stock up on compassion. He talks about mm-hmm. how he was talking with a colleague who was a bit snippy, and he was, like, taken aback at first, but then he thought, no, no this person's feeling all of these things too. This is not how so-and-so normally acts. This is how they're acting in this time right now because of what they're feeling. So mm-hmm. if if we just can step back and look at our own feelings and legitimize them, it's also important to do that for the feelings of everybody else around us. We're all feeling this. We're Our feelings are all changing minute to minute sometimes. And so it's a good time to stock up on our compassion. If we can't physically help everybody because we are constrained to our houses, we still can show compassion and love and charity in other ways to our neighbors
1: okay it's time for our what we're loving this week segment of the show so Lindsay what have you been loving this week Well, you mentioned Victory Gardens, and
0: um, Mm -hmm. I think I've actually shared these before on the podcast, but it is the apropos time to share them again. I have been long obsessed with what we call the farm videos. And so out of England, they produced a series, multiple TV series featuring these historians and archaeologists. So you get uh, Tudor Monastery Farm, Victorian Farm, Edwardian Farm, and then Wartime Farm. And these Mm. archaeologists and historians, this team, live on these farms in England for an entire year. They live it. They have to farm that land. Mm-hmm. They have to take care of the house. They have to do all the stuff. Like it is in each episode, there's 12 episodes and each one is an hour. So it's one month of that year. And I, I watch them. I'm like, well, I'm totally a farmer now. Like I'm an expert. <laughs> we'll Obviously, drive, yeah. Yeah, Right. We'll <laughs> drive through farmland. And I'm like, I know why they're doing that. I saw that on Victorian <laughs> farm. <laughs> But That's so not awesome. only there is practical stuff, you'll walk away from it, especially the wartime farm series, I think is really um, mm. applicable to what we're kind of going through right now with so many people talking about planting gardens um as spring is mm-hmm. coming right now. So they're entertaining. They're informative. They're really great to watch as a family. Most of them are available on YouTube. I don't usually suggest watching things for free on YouTube if you can give the money to the appropriate source, Mm -hmm. but they're really hard to buy. I did manage to find a DVD set of um, Edwardian Farm for myself and had it sent over from England and it was ridiculously expensive. Um, (laughs) But I don't think that there's a way to pay for them any other way. So go ahead, watch them on YouTube. Excellent
1: series. I love that. And what are you loving this week? Well, I'm piggybacking off of your wartime recommendation Mm. with a novel that i finished Mm -hmm. and i actually finished this a few weeks ago um but i haven't been able to stop thinking about it it's called lovely war by Mm. julie berry Mm -hmm. and um it was a delightful read it was really pleasant and easy to get through Uh, it was actually recommended by one of my favorite favorite bloggers everyday reading on instagram and it follows four young people during world war one who are pulled together due to circumstances of war um but it, it takes a bit of a twist like it's a little bit romance it's a little bit wartime drama and it's a little bit greek mythology So that part, I actually really loved how it all fit in together, but I won't say any more about it because I don't want to give away how it does fit together. Yeah, for me, this really hit basically all the marks of a novel. And if that is something that interests you, then this might be a great book to try to find online or through Overdrive or any of your online library uh, websites while we're at home for the next little bit. Okay that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today you can find us on our website www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs and you can find me on Instagram at Sachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray and you can find me on Instagram at Hellmaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.